It's Friday, July 24th, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So Gawker got in that big kerfuffle. Notice I'm using the passive voice. Could also say Gawker pretty much ruined the guy's life by taking the wrong side of a blackmail scheme. Fine. Now Nick Denton, the guy who founded Gawker, says he knows what Gawker needs to do. They need to become, he says, his prescription 10 to 15% nicer. And that is a fine prescription, except it doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes sense, get nicer, but how do you calibrate it like that? It just seems like the sort of thing that you can't get down to 10 to 15%. Like, if I said, run, run as fast as you can, you could run as fast as you can. And then if I said, jog, maybe you'd say, okay, that's going half speed. You might not literally be going half speed. But if I said, okay, now jog 15% faster than you were jogging, you'd have no way to do it. Or what if I made the goal, I made it my goal, I'm going to dress 12% better. What does that mean? One sock every other day? Or you know what? I'm going to give the new CD by Daughtry 10% more of a chance. It's just one of those things. doesn't seem like 10, 15%. That's a little too, little too fine grain. So I'm going to help you. I'm going to help Gawker about how to be 10 to 15% better. You can't think of it as a percentage. You have to think of it as a one out of seven, that's 14%. One out of eight, one out of nine is 11%. So you take a field of nine people. So let's say Gawker or anyone just hates the entire Supreme Court. And you want to be, say, 11% nicer between 10 and 15? Here's what you do. You say... Clarence Thomas, Stooge, Scalia, Scold, Robert, Sellout, Kennedy, Waffler, Ginsburg, Lames, Sotomayor, Blech, Breyer, please, Alito, gag me. Kagan, you know what? Kagan's nice. Kagan, she's good people. Or let's say you're a fan of the Cubs. You hate the St. Louis Cardinals. You want to hate all those Cardinals. You want to be 10 to 15% nicer. Pick a guy in the lineup. Pick a Cardinal to like. I'm not saying like Molina. I'm not saying like Colton Wong. Why not like Randall Gritchick? Randall Gritchick, just have some nice thoughts about Randall Gritchick. He's the one Cardinal you like, and you got 10 to 15% nicer to the Cardinals. There you go, Gawker. When you savage me for this comment, I know it will only be at 85% virulence. On the show today, I spiel, well, I get pretty provincial. I'm a New Yorker, but don't worry. I will give you one news item from outside New York State. But first, it's the return of Dear Prudy, wherein Slate's advice columnist and I read a letter and each of us offers advice. The advice is going to conflict. And you just might realize why one of us is a professional advice columnist and the other one is a guy who just said something pretty unkind about Samuel Alito. Emily Yaffe writes the Dear Prudence column for Slate, and what she does is she gives people advice. Now, usually on this show, we do post-prudence impact statements. She has given the advice. We call up the letter writer and figure out how the advice landed. Not today. We're going to give the advice, and then maybe in some other format, some sort of uh, subgist subreddit of subgist. There will be the post-prudence impact statement to this thing. But for now, Emily Yaffe is here. Hello, Emily. Hi, Mike. Hi. And before we call up our person, I think we should uh, we should read the letter. Sure. Uh, I'm going to depend a lot on you for a response to this letter All because right. I it's a workplace letter. Mm-hmm. I for many reasons work alone and only deal with a neurotic dog all day. So uh, let me read this letter. Dear Prudence, I work for a small company in an even smaller department. About a month ago, 
Quote, Kathy started acting very chilly toward me, not greeting me, responding very dully to questions I asked, finally ignoring me. I asked her if she was angry with me, and she said no. The behavior continued, and so I sent an email, again asking if I had done something to upset her. She didn't respond. A few days later, I asked her again in person what was going on. She gave a very disingenuous excuse about my not updating a contact list. Has your dog ever done that, Emily? Uh, My dog is next to me right now, and she might blow if I don't continue patting her. I told her that it would be very difficult to work together if she kept behaving this way. I eventually told her boss, our boss, who was at a loss. We are gearing up to start the biggest project in our company's history, and communication and teamwork will be vital. I'm beginning to get creeped out by this. It seems immature, pathologically passive-aggressive, and makes me think she's unstable. She sits three feet away from me. What can I do to protect myself? We do not have an HR department, and I don't want to talk to the boss again. Help. Signed, Creeped Out. Hmm. I got a lot of thoughts from my various years of non-dog-related co-working. But what do you think? What do you think of uh, <laughs> Creeped Out? You're not the crazy co-worker, are you, Mike? No. I'm the one who requires a nice scratch behind my ears, and then I'll tap my tail, and I'll be fine. <laughs> If this is as described, and, you know, we don't have Kathy's side of this, this is very bizarre and does indicate something quite wrong with this colleague who sits a few feet away, who when asked directly and politely, hey, what's going on? Oh, nothing. You didn't update a contact list. That's false. And... It utterly is passive-aggressive, no matter what the cause may be. And it could be everyone gets that Kathy's gone off the rails, or Kathy could be spreading terrible rumors about creeped out for some reason. And, you know, it'll make her life more difficult. And again, she's got no HR. The boss has been ineffectual. What do you do? So much depends on what the truth is with creeped out and not just her perception of the truth. But if this was a friend Mm -hmm. or loved one talking to me, and I knew for a fact that friend or loved one is a fine, decent, normal, wonderful person, I would say you got to get past it. Not everyone has to like you if it's not affecting the work. She, your coworker, and it stinks that you're in a department of three and one third of that three. In fact, your only peer is not giving you anything except some sort of robotic countenance. But that's life and that's work. And you could try to change your job, but she doesn't have to be nice. If there's no effect other than the social effect, I mean, if the work's getting done, just have to deal with it. I mean, some people I've ha- I've dealt with, I'm an effusive person, this may shock you. I've dealt with coworkers who just <laughs> are, it turns out this one person was very shy and it took a while to get to know. But I said to myself, I'm not going to get a hello in the morning. And unless I engage said person, said person will not engage me back. And now I had other coworkers to turn to and it didn't affect the work. But at first it bothered me. Then I compartmentalized it and went on. All right. But that seems slightly different from this dilemma. She doesn't say, look, I have a coworker who's a little odd and not very friendly. She says there was some precipitating something. She had a normal relationship with this person and now it's turned bizarre. If you, you know, ask a coworker, hey, what's going on? 
nothing keeps going on. You send an email, you know, you seem upset with me. What's the problem? No response. You sit feet from each other and clearly something has happened. I think that's very disturbing, especially in an extremely small environment where you have to be constantly interacting and this person is trying very hard to avoid you. Luckily, in this format, we can call Creeped Out and find out a little more. Hello? Hello, are you Creeped Out? <laughs> I am. Wow, that's a, weird, that's a weird question to ask and answer. <laughs> I'm glad you said it right. Hi, Emily. Hi, Creeped. <laughs> so we got your letter, and we've been bandying it about, but uh, you wrote it a couple weeks ago. You want to update us at all? Any, uh, any new facts have emerged? Well, um, things got a little worse from when I originally wrote the letter. I think when I first wrote the letter, the woman in question was just ignoring me. And then she started to be openly hostile to me. How did that manifest itself? It really, it, it, it happened at a meeting of about 15 people, and she made sort of a loud scoffing noise. I don't know. She was wondering why I was at the meeting when our mutual boss had asked me to, to attend the meeting. And she was kind of like, well, why are you here? And, you know, made kind of a nasty noise. So after that, I talked to our boss for the second time. I had talked to her once before, and it was clear that she hadn't talked to my colleague. So I talked to my boss a second time, and she scheduled a meeting for the three of us. But we didn't talk about any of the issues that I've been having with her. And then in the past, I would say, two weeks, I just started being overly friendly and overly chatty and smiling and greeting her every time I saw her. And now she, it's kind of, it's kind of as if the whole episode didn't happen. You killed her with kindness. I didn't think that worked. Uh, You know, I'm not even that interested in having a a friendship with her or anything, but uh, I really, I was creeped out. Things couldn't stay the way they were, and my boss wasn't really managing any of it. So I had to do something, and confronting her didn't work. I did that a few times. Yeah, I just, I killed her with kindness. I love it. I mean, this is so great. I'm going to suggest this right and left. And it must be hard to do, but how did you arrive at this genius solution? It was clear to me that there really wasn't any other solution. I mean, I had responded by being aloof and, you know, and that got sort of progressively chillier and chillier until there was, you know, like a palpable hostility between us and I just couldn't work like that. Now she also went on vacation, which may have contributed to her being in a better mood. I think she went on a date, which she hadn't done in a long time. Nah. Maybe medication adjustment? Maybe. So I guess I'm going to say I was wrong. I said, too, that you should just compartmentalize this and know not everyone could like you. And if it didn't really affect the business, then your satisfaction at work, though I'm not minimizing it, and try to find a way to ignore it. But you had a better strategy, and now your life is more pleasant as a result. So what the hell do I know? I don't know if I would have been able to ignore it. Mike, look, not everyone is delightfully 
as oblivious as you are. So, you know, <laughs> this kind of thing can be very painful. Uh, you know, creep just talking about a real, when you're getting ready for work in the morning and you have this pit of dread. It's like junior high school and the lunch table. Oh, my God, every day am I going to go through this misery because someone's targeting me. You know, you're not just dealing with someone who's odd. You're dealing with someone who is dissing you. And and as you describe at the meeting, what are you doing here? Hoot! I mean, that's just weird. Yeah, she seems terrible. But you know what it is? It's I have whatever you want to call it, a sense of ego or just the certainty that, well, it's not me. I know it's not me. And, you know, it's it's hard for uh, maybe not everyone has that. And th- No, th- I had that, too. Yeah. I knew that it wasn't me. I'll also say there is a special place in uh, our hall of uh, infame or discredit. Your boss. I mean, your boss did nothing about this. But you know what? I'll tell you from the letters I get about the boss, that's a very frequent response. Was it a good idea to bring the boss into this, do you think, Emily? Well, Creeped did the right thing by trying repeatedly in a very calm, straightforward way to deal with this herself. That's always the first thing. I get a lot of letters. Something happened. I ran right to HR. I've talked to a lot of employment lawyers and HR people you know, unless it's something egregious, someone is threatening you, etc. You're supposed to try to work out workplace issues yourself first. You escalate it when you can't get anywhere. So I think in this circumstance, yes, Creep tried to do the right thing and deal with it, but it was becoming ridiculous. Well, Creeped Out, I want to thank you for emailing us at first and also for just uh, being a more generally positive, happy, and aggressively effusive person than I could muster in myself. Thanks a lot. I'm glad it's working out for you. Thanks. Thank you. Emily, I I just wanted to note that uh, this this segment where we give someone advice and it helps their life, they didn't really need it, it turns out. We're pathetic. We didn't know what to do, but I, I it was very instructive for me because she had great advice, really It is a really good idea. Just steal yourself, put on that smile, ignore the psychodrama, and try to make it go away. And this is a great demonstration that it can work. It doesn't mean it always will work, but I learned a lot from her. Well, Emily Yaffe is Dear Prudence. And let me just uh, put this out to you, just listener, if you email us. Emily might very well take on your conundrum, be it a workplace issue, a family dynamic gone wrong, affairs of the heart, anything scandalous. What else do you like, Emily? That covers the waterfront. And and just please, in the future, don't solve your own problems. Wait for us. Things can go horribly wrong. (laughs) No, because if you've got a good solution, then I'm going to steal it for a future answer. Emily's email address for all her Prudence correspondence is prudence at slate.com. And if you specifically want to target your question for a future gist segment, make your subject line gist, and then we'll know to bring it alive on the radio. Thank you, Emily. Thanks, Mike. And now the spiel, sit, Uber, sit. Most of the time, I think the rights 
description, depiction of the economic policies of the left is kind of a caricature, right? They say Democrats are all tax and spend liberals. They say they're just in the pockets of unions. They characterize the left as thinking government's always the answer and believing in overregulation. But here, here in New York, where I live and where I'm going to talk about, I don't know if you know this, I'm a New Yorker. Here, there was a recent debate where all of these characterizations of the liberal position turned out to be exactly true. I thought the liberal position, as embodied by our mayor, Bill de Blasio, was just out to lunch in the worst kind of way, and I did not get it. But before I get to that, I'm going to lay another two New York stories on you, and then I'm going to make amends, I promise. At the end of all this, I'm going to give you a story from a state outside New York, okay? So let's go through some of these New York stories. One, a Nassau County congresswoman on the heels of a horrible drunk driving accident on Long Island, made a proposal. And she says that all cars manufactured in the United States, there's going to be a bill in Congress that she's planning to introduce, all cars should have a device that won't let you turn on the car unless you blow a clean blood alcohol level. Drunk drivers can't use cars. And according to a University of Michigan study, this device, which is already used in cars by people who have been sentenced to courts for drunk driving, this device would eliminate 85% of drunk driving deaths over a 15-year period. It would save $343 billion over 15 years. It would cut back on 80 to 89% of drunk driving-related injuries. And we're talking about almost half a million deaths and injuries prevented if we have this device. This, to me, seems like the best idea. And it came from one of those worst kind of places, like you don't react until something horrible happens, and then you snap into action. But fine. If this happens, I mean, we have a driverless car that no one's really asking for. We got a lot of technology that no one's really asking for. And it seems that car innovation is just putting more DVD players on the back seats of SUVs. We should absolutely do this. This is a great idea. I don't know why it hasn't been done already. I hope it gets done now. That's New York idea one. One idea emanating from New York. Another idea emanating from New York and other places. Raising the minimum wage, raising the minimum wage for fast food workers to $15. A couple caveats here. In other parts of New York State, other than New York City, the phase-in for the $15 an hour, if the idea goes forward, will be until, I think, 2021. By which time, if you look at inflation, $15 then or will be, if it all comes to pass, the equivalent of about $12.81 now. But, you know, they always talk about the states as laboratories of democracy, but they're not, they're unlike laboratories because laboratories conceive of an experiment as an experiment. They know it's an experiment and they say, we're going to experiment. But we just write about things like states through the laboratories of democracy, or we talk about the states being laboratories of democracy, or we talk about these proposals as a minimum wage experiment. My idea is, why don't you use it is a real experiment. Why don't you have a control group? You know, different cities throughout your states will have different appetites for what you're proposing. So instead of always passing a blanket rule, we don't always know what the unintended consequences are. The governor of the state 
can work with local officials that he knows will be on board with it and say, in this county, that's going to be the minimum wage. And we're going to compare it to the neighboring counties. Now, you might say, what county official would put their hand up? But there are some very liberal counties where they'd want this. And yes, we would see the effects of displacement, maybe a fast food place that was going to establish itself in Cuyahoga County now will establish itself in Dutchess County. But you know what? That's just like a fast food place wanting to open in New York. There's a big minimum wage law. They say, we're going to open in New Jersey instead. I say do experimentation because, you know, private companies do this. And it's going to relate to what I'm talking about in a moment. But Google says, we want to try high speed. We don't have to pass it everywhere. We're going to pilot it in Kansas City. McDonald's says, we're going to experiment with an all-day breakfast menu. So we'll try it out in Tulsa. I think states, if they want to really be the laboratories of democracy, should try out proposals here and there and not always pass it across the board. But here's the big one where the classic charges against stuck-in-the-mud, non-innovative politicians really rang true. And I'm talking about Uber. The mayor and the New York City Council had considered a proposal to limit the number of Uber cars on the road because of congestion, because of, they said, fairness, and because they didn't say of the fact that all city council members have their own drivers. As does this guy, Mayor Bill de Blasio, who locked horns with the car service, this car service that I'm speaking of, which has been described as the Uber of Uber. Here's Mayor de Blasio describing it. Uber is a multi-billion dollar corporation. And they're acting like one. When de Blasio says that it's acting like this billion-dollar company, he's saying that is an accusation. In his mind, that's supposed to be a smear. But if you look at it another way, what he's really saying is Uber is unbelievably successful, and they're acting like a company that knows how to be unbelievably successful. Like, that's the sort of statement that someone with a certain mindset about business would make, and another kind of person, like our last mayor, Bloomberg, would not make. Uber, they are a successful company. They do the marketing that a successful company does. They do the lobbying. And one of the things they did is they hired some celebrities to tweet pro-Uber things. Kate Upton, Neil Patrick Harris. They direct marketed to New Yorkers. They practically crowded out every local commercial on the local television stations. No commercials for Carvel. No commercials for the Catering Palace Grand Prospect Hall. You dreamed about it. It's been carefully planned. So yes, yes, the Uber ads were ubiquitous, uberiquitous. I was pretty much just struggling to make ends meet. In and out of work, I couldn't pay my mortgage. I was having a lot of difficulty. And that's when I found the grace and blessing of Jesus Christ. Wait, oh, it's not for him? Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And that's when I decided I needed to change. Promise House, Substance Abuse Council. What? Oh. Uber. Okay, Uber. Okay, Uber saved me. But you know what? I mock. But those guys are right. Uber is better in every way than yellow cabs. I talk to my cab drivers all the time. Might shock you. No one really likes driving a yellow cab. Every once in a while, you get a cab who says, well, you meet all sorts of interesting people. That's the best they'll say. Uber drivers all at least say they like driving for Uber. And why wouldn't you? Every cabbie, yellow cabbie, has a 12-hour shift, all right? You don't know if you're going to get a fare. You don't know if the fare you pick up is going to run away or stiff you on a tip or, like, pull a gun. You have to swerve through traffic with your eyes peeled to see a guy with his hand up. If that guy says, I'm going to Newark, then damn it, you're going to Newark. 
Uber drivers can accept or reject a person based on past behavior. They know where their fare is going. They know they can't get stiffed. They can't lose money by paying 120 bucks to the guy who owns the medallion. For the most part, they own the cars. Estimates vary, but Uber drivers make conservatively $6 an hour more than yellow cab drivers. And the biggest critique really shows the inadequacy of yellow cabs. The critique that all these public officials are saying is that there are now so many Ubers on the road. Well, what does this mean? This means that there are just an inadequate number of yellow cabs. There's a cap of 14,000 medallions. Who wants that? The guys who own the medallions because of supply and demand. These medallions sell for about a million dollars each, and they stiff their drivers, and the drivers have no benefits, and the drivers have no flexibility. I haven't even gotten into the greatest strengths of Uber, which is ease for the customer. This whole debate just made me sad, except how it ended. The governor, Andrew Cuomo, this guy doesn't like the mayor. This guy likes to catch criminals who escape also. Two things I know about the governor. Also, he does take money from cab interests. Still, he stood up. He asked the city council to drop the idea. It was pretty apparent where public opinion was. It was pretty apparent where Neil Patrick Harris, Ashton Kutcher, and Kate Upton stood on the issue. So you got the governor. You got those three people I mentioned. That's three men and one Sports Illustrated model in a room. That is the way New York government runs. Fight over Uber Uber Alice. Wait, I did promise you some out-of-state news. Here it is. Health officials in Florida are urging residents to keep away from armadillos, which they suspect are the cause of an increasing number of leprosy in the state. There you go. That's my non-New York news. I hope you're happy. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi has vowed to show 8% less equanimity. Joel Meyer, the managing producer, is tithing, which in his religion means wearing neckties, in his case, ones that cover 12% more of the torso. Andy Bowers, our executive producer, has vowed to up his personal grooming game by biting 10% fewer of his fingernails, left ring finger precisely. The gist, now with 10% more joie de vivre, but 11% less esprit de corps. Thanks for listening. Now it's my pleasure to tell you about another podcast on the Panoply Network. This is uh, my pal, Brian Koppelman. I'm proud to call him my pal. You know what? I think a lot of people think that he's their pal, and that's how he gets these great guests. Listen to who said yeah. Isn't fear driving everybody, basically, all the time (laughs) to do their best? Isn't that, like, the greatest, you know, motivator? Is that the thing for you? (laughs) Is that one of the things? For this and other great podcasts, visit panoply.fm.